It's time now for The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. I know churches say, well, you can't, you know, you can't be demon-possessed if you're a believer. Well, I actually believe that. I don't believe you can be demon-possessed as a Christian, but you can be demonized. And what I mean by that is the actually the Greek word means demonization. You can be influenced by. That's why virtually every epistle in the New Testament written to believers is about spiritual warfare. Okay, so it is carte blanche what you signed up for. Welcome to another edition of The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. Steve is the head pastor of The Road in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's our vision to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ and to see you grow in the grace and knowledge of His love. If you're in the area, we welcome you to come out and join us for our Saturday night service beginning at 6 p.m. We meet at Chapel Hills Church, located at 2025 Parliament Drive, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80920. On this edition of The Road, we'll continue this exciting study on spiritual warfare. Make sure you have your Bibles handy, because we're going to be looking at a few different scriptures today. Here now with part one of today's message is Pastor Steve. This is in uh, USA Today. I felt like it was important to just uh, read the first part here on the front page. Feds foil July 4th terror plots. Ten plus suspects linked to ISIL arrested in the month. FBI Director James Comey said Thursday that federal authorities disrupted an undisclosed number of suspected plots. Time to the July 4th holiday to, quote, kill people in the United States. I just want to say um, a prayer for our men and women in uniform who uh, put their lives in harm's way, both military as well as law enforcement. So, Father, thank you for these men and women who are constantly doing stuff that we don't know about that I believe sometimes you even give divine intelligence about that are attempting to destroy our nation and kill people because they're believers, because they're Christians, and, and because they uh, are freedom-loving people. And so I ask a blessing, God, over them, and I thank you for them and those that are even here at the road. We appreciate who they are and what they do. So we bless them, Lord. And fathers, we open the word. It seemed timely to read this as you've guided me to speak about the strategies of the enemy over nations. So God, would you anoint and bless this message in your name. Amen. All right, um, tonight we're going to be kind of jumping around a little bit. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 10. Um, We're going to be in Psalm 2 and Joel 2. You can work your way toward Daniel chapter 10 because that's where we'll we'll kind of launch out. We've been talking about this issue of the fourth dimension and the aspect related to this world of a dimension of angels and demons that many Americans believe in. But they have no idea how to engage. And um, I'll tell you, I've been to like 40 nations of the world. And most of the world believes that there's actually an engagement between the three-dimensional world and the fourth-dimensional world. It's only the West where they don't believe that. And uh, we call it the excluded middle. The excluded middle. This idea that there's, this, there's, this, there's these entities, seraphim and cherubim. We see that in Revelation 4 and 5. Worshiping before the Lord. We see demons. We know about demons. We know about angelic beings. 
And then there's this three-dimensional world that we live in where we pay our bills and we wash our car and we have a job and we lose our job and we gain a job and we get married and we have relationships. And, and yet we think there's kind of like this excluded middle. They don't really interact. And it's sort of like a TV transmission or radio transmission. Right now, there's actually images flying through this room. And if you had a TV and you had an antenna, you'd pick it up. And if you had an FM receiver, you'd pick it up. And so right now, MIT, MIT about 10 years ago, uh, started a, they have a course. And this course is on paranormia. And in the paranormia class, they talk about taking meters into haunted houses. And we're going to talk about this later. In several weeks, we'll get to UFOs and, and the issue of, of haunted houses. I've been in haunted houses. They're real. And there's ghosts. There. I mean, you know, I think they're demons. But there's a reason why all through history and civilizations, they believed in ghosts. They called them ghosts, but they're really demons. These demon spirits. And so, so it's only in the West that we think... That there's this fourth, some don't even believe there is that, most, I mean, atheists and agnostics, I don't know what they believe sometimes, but they don't acknowledge that. But most people, like 95% believe, okay, I believe in that, and then I believe in this, but in the actual experiential world we live in, we don't think they interact. Folks, they do. They do. I mean, we had, um, we had a couple that was at, at the road last week, and... Um, they had come, and then they were intrigued by our, our uh, series on war. Even though I was, wasn't talking about that last week, we were talking about the end times church as it related to some of the legislation that had come down. But they went in, and, and, they, and they listened back and caught, caught up and listened to that. So she comes up to me, and I don't even know, you know what their faith background is, but she came up to me at a baseball game, and she said, man, I was listening to those first two messages, and... I can't explain it, but on a regular basis, I get up in the morning, and it's a good day. I take the kids to school. Everything's fine. And then I just feel this oppression come over me and this anger toward my husband. I know her husband. He's a great guy. It's like, Joe? Yeah. And now I'm starting to realize it's, it's demonic. And so this week, I just said, in the name of Jesus, get out of here. And it left. You know, and I'm telling you, you guys, in Philippines and in Malaysia and in Thailand and India, when you become a believer, they just know to do that. But we, the civilized West, are just getting taken out. Nobody has divorces like we do. No other part of the world has divorces like Americans do. There's not nearly the infidelity and the affairs in other parts of the world. I'm talking about even non-Christian nations like there is here. We are idiots spiritually sometimes as to what's actually happening. So that's why we're doing this. And believe me, I've been in that world too. I know what it's like. And to, to come to the reality that there's an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, actually taking out an entire family is a powerful thing. Because here's why Jesus came. This is what Jesus said in 1 John. The devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Do you realize that when you become a faith believer, when you become a Jesus follower, you have the spirit of Jesus living within you. And he starts to give you the capacity and the power through his spirit to destroy the works of the devil. You don't have to stay in the place you've always known. 
you can start breaking strongholds over you. So tonight, 1 Peter 5.8 says this. Jot this down if you're taking notes. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. But this is where we're going to be for the next several weeks. 1 Peter 5.8. So Peter, if anybody understood this issue of being used by the enemy even though you love Jesus. I know churches say, well, you can't, you know, you can't be demon-possessed if you're a believer. Well, I actually believe that. I don't believe you can be demon-possessed as a Christian, but you can be demonized. And what I mean by that is the actually the Greek word means demonization. I mean, you can be influenced by. That's why virtually every epistle in the New Testament written to believers is about spiritual warfare. Okay, so it is, it is carte blanche what you signed up for. So when you entered into this thing called the Christian life, you had an arch enemy that put a target on your back. And here's what Peter said. Who was the one who just acclaimed at the Last Supper how much he loved Jesus? And then the very next moment says to Jesus, no, you can't go to the cross. And Jesus says, what? Get behind me, Satan. That's how quickly the enemy's strategies can work. So in 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter writes this. Be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He is on the prowl looking for someone to devour. Resist him strong in your face. So my title tonight is Strategies of a Roaring Lion. Strategies of a Roaring Lion over a nation. Reality is this, is that you got to understand the setup before we get to actually how we cast them out, how we get set free. So he says that, that the enemy is like a roaring lion. So there's a roaring lion out there, and he has devices, you guys, and he has strategies. He has strategies for you. He knows you, but he also has strategies over nations. There is a strategy by Satan over America. And he uses leaders in government. He uses mayors. He uses presidents. He uses um, council members. He works in churches. He works through boards. He works through people of influence. And we're going to see that in a moment. But what I want to talk about now is nations. Revelation 12, 7 talks about the battle in the heavenlies. When we spoke of the great battle, I call it the first war. The First World War. The First World War was not in uh, 1916 to 1918. The First World War was eons, yea, even many, maybe millions of years ago, when the worship intercessor Lucifer, morning stars, what that means, rebelled against God. Isaiah 14, the five I wills that are there. We've already discussed all this. Rebelled against God. He was cast to the earth. Here's what it says in Revelation 12, 7. The war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. And this is the part that's key. Who deceives the whole world. Who deceives the whole world. So talk about a job description. There's your job description. He is here, he's on the earth, he's called the prince of the power of the air. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Ephesians 2.2, 2. he's the prince of the power of the air to deceive the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So Satan who longed to be worshipped, who desired worship, 
had what uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse in his great work, The Invisible War, said, a spontaneous generation in his heart of pride that welled up within him, I will be like the Most High God, Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. And in so doing, he was cast out. He now is here to deceive the whole world. So then we have this interesting scenario where Jesus begins his public ministry. And he goes into fasting and prayer for 40 days and 40 nights. During that time, he became hungry. It's the end of the 40 days. Satan comes to him. And there's this interaction on the pinnacle of the temple. And this is what Satan says to Jesus. I will give you all the power and glory of these kingdoms. All of it, listen, all of it has been given to me and I give it to anyone I please. Okay, so Jesus never contends at all with what Satan says. In a sense, by being mute, he agrees with it. In other words, he's actually, Satan is telling the truth there. He can give it to anyone he wants, but it's been given to him. So, you know, you, you, you juxtapose Daniel chapter 12 and then Luke and Matthew 4 with this interaction. God gave him the earth. That's all I can say. I mean, why did he do that? I don't know. Don't ask that question. I mean, I don't know. We don't know. There's a lot of things we don't know. It's one of the things we don't know. We don't know, but it's true. So, so Jesus, when he came, was kind of a special forces paratrooper for the kingdom of God dropped into enemy territory. And so that's why when he begins here, some would say he bound the enemy. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what people mean by that, but I do know this. That the main and the plane of the ministry of Jesus, you guys, was preaching the kingdom, healing the sick, and casting out demons. So if, if we talked about a threefold ministry of Jesus, he came to set the captives free, Luke 4, 18 and 19, through preaching the kingdom of God. Obviously living the kingdom of God, but I'm talking about what he actually did as far as ministry. He preached the kingdom of God, the reign and the rule of Christ. He healed the sick and he cast out demons. Okay, so he starts driving back the enemy, but he never contends with what Satan said, that he's here and he has power and glory. And that's why the Lord's Prayer is so powerful. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying the opposite of what Satan said to Jesus. We're praying that you are the power and you are the glory and this is your kingdom. Your kingdom has come. That's why the road is here, folks. The road is here as a last day's ministry that the Lord has to push back darkness in Colorado Springs. And then if he sends us to other places to church plant, if he sends us to other places to develop worship and prayer, then we go to contend against the darkness. So, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And the way, that's what he does. He blinds our, I mean, sins makes you stupid. Have you realized that sin makes you stupid? I've met some of the greatest pastors, I mean, godly men, I thought, you know, who've done the dumbest things. I mean, just ruined the ministry that was touching thousands of people. You know, like, with the information you had and the knowledge, how could you do that? Sin makes you stupid. And here's what, listen, the filling of the Holy Spirit makes you smart. You can be smart. Scriptures say you can be smarter than your teachers. All you young people in this room, you're, some of you are going to college and everything, you're smarter than your teachers if you know Jesus. Most of your teachers who don't know Jesus are just working with humanism. They're just working with human ingenuity, 
human um, fabric that comes from the systems that we develop. And all truth is God's truth. Some of it's God's truth. It's great, wonderful, praise God. But the reality is you may know stuff and you shouldn't be shy about it. I mean, you need to be strategic about it, but you don't want to be shy about it. But just, you know, you're smarter than your teachers. Now don't go tell them that. I know a guy who did that when we were at Georgia one time. I'm smarter than you. He didn't do well in that class, and it really kind of ruined his GPA. But in Ephesians 6.12, and I would call it hierarchy over nations. The hierarchy over nations. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the ruler of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, when you break this down, it appears that there's kind of like generals... You know, kind of lieutenant colonels, colonels, uh, majors, captains, sergeants. There appears to be some kind of a hierarchy. I've told you this story before that one time I was, I was casting out demons in Okinawa. And I, this guy, and I mean to tell you, I got way over my head. And we had, we had come into this guy. This guy was into automatic typing. If you don't know what that is, that's where you blindfold yourself. And then you ask the spirits to come and you channel spirits. And then you type stuff and there's a message in it. And this guy was totally into channeling. He was totally in. He was not a believer. He had tried to commit suicide. And in so trying to commit suicide, he killed two people. And so I got called in. And I'm like, you know, every place I'd gone, man, I'd just gotten the job done. And so I, I kind of felt like I was sort of this, you know, kind of Clint Eastwood make my day kind of attitude. And I mean, I was, I got blown away. And, and I mean, it was bad. Um, I brought a guy with me. And when we walked in... I had this young Japanese guy, who's a new, not a new believer, but sort of a new believer. Not in years, but in maturity level, he was a new believer. And so we come in, and we start talking to this guy, and he's the one who called us. So I thought his, his will was engaged to get set free, which is like number one. It's the first thing you got to do. He comes in, and then the guy goes, he says to me, he says, he calls out the secret sins of the guy I brought with me. And then he manifests a demon, and I brought him to help me. When you have friends like that, who needs enemies, right? So, I mean, we, you know, we cast, we're trying to deal with that. Uh, it's bad. It's a long story. But anyway, the dude, had a, he had high-level spirits that he had picked up in Okinawa, and they were there, and, I, and I, was, I couldn't handle it. So I had to back out. I had all my clothes on, though. I promise you. I didn't leave nude. <laughs> Sons of Skiva, you know. <laughs> no clothes on. Original, you know, spiritual warfare streaker. no. But Isaiah 14 is interesting. Isaiah 14 speaks of the king of Babylon. This is really interesting, you guys. The king of Babylon. And then, in reference to the king of Babylon, by verses 1 through 11, in verse 12, he talks about Lucifer. He talks about Lucifer. What's that about? Well, I think you'll understand it as we put it all together. So just kind of take that, put it over here. Then... In Ezekiel 28, the chapter begins with the pride of the, listen, the prince of Tyre, is what it says, because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am God. Now, that's, that's not even getting into the king of Tyre. So that's the prince of Tyre. Later, when we get into the five eye wheels, which is the passage about the spontaneous generation by which Lucifer becomes Satan and he rebels... This guy is called the Prince of Tyre. Now, historically, we have a King of Tyre, but historically, we do not have a Prince of Tyre. What's going on? I think in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, 
there is a spirit, a prince behind the national leadership that is using that king or that prime minister or that president as his mouthpiece to do work that he wants to do over a nation. So now, let's look at Daniel chapter 10. So that's all a setup for this. In Daniel chapter 8, before this, we read of Satan's strategies. It's very interesting. Daniel writes this. By his treachery, he will succeed through deceit. Now, he's talking about the last days. He's talking about in the latter days. By, he's talking about Satan. By his treachery, he will succeed through deceit. He will have an arrogant attitude. And he will destroy many. Listen. He will destroy many who are unaware of his schemes. Many of you in this room are being destroyed because you're unaware of his schemes. That's why we're doing this teaching. That's why we're doing this training is because at the road, we've got to be equipped about the strategies of a roaring lion. So in Daniel chapter 10, what I love about this is it's a real story. It really happened. There's no theological points to it. It's not theological like the New Testament. It's just telling you this is what happened. So look at verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So there's a king of Persia. Get that? Everybody understand that? There's a real guy named Cyrus. He was really the king of Persia. But we're going to find out he's sort of not the king of Persia. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. All three whole weeks were fulfilled. So, so 21 days, he's going to be, he's fasting, he's praying, he wants wisdom from God about this vision that he had. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Now, is this a pre-incarnate Jesus? I don't know. We don't know. Because, you know, whenever I've talked about this in the past, when we speak of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, I believe many times it's a pre-incarnate Christ who shows up. Um, I don't know if this is, but it has very much that kind of description. The reason you'll understand later why, I'm not sure. Um, because if this is Jesus, I mean, he could get the job done, okay? It's like, Jesus shows up like, ah I'm out of here. You know, any demons, like scatter. But that didn't happen, so I don't think it's Jesus. Is it, I think it's a, a very high-level archangel. A very high-level archangel. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. By the way, any of you there said, you know, if an angel would just show up, I'd believe. No, no. This is the way angels show up. I mean, Monica in Touched by an Angel. Mm, Sorry, guys. Um, Irish, you know, some Irish beauty. Uh-uh. No, this is like everybody runs and hides themselves. And anytime an angel shows up, the angels have to say, fear not, because everybody's freaking out. Therefore, I was left alone, great friends, when I saw this great vision. No strength remained in me. I mean, he just literally wilts because of fear over the being. 
For my vigor was turned to frailty within me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in deep sleep on my face and my face to the ground. Verse 10. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved. Isn't that awesome? Listen, guys, God knows your name. He knows your name and you're greatly beloved. You're beloved of the Lord. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood up trembling. Verse 12. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Folks, when you're crying out to God, your words are heard. When you're praying and you feel like nothing's happening, remember Daniel chapter 10. Go back and read it. When you're praying for your marriage, you're praying for your school, you're praying for your friends, you're praying for your dad, you know, you're praying for your uncle, you're praying because people make fun of you at school and they poke fun at you and they're bullying you and you're crying out to God, God hears your prayer. Do not fear, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. I have come because of your words. I've become because you you didn't give up. For 21 days, you did not give up. You kept praying. You've been listening to The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. We pray that you've been blessed by the message today. Our hope is to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's why we teach the Word of God verse by verse, scripture by scripture, and precept upon precept. We're excited about all the things God is doing in the lives of our faithful listeners. We understand that there are many trials and tribulations in this world, and we'd love to be able to pray for you as you encounter difficult times. Please drop us a note and let us know how we can pray for you. Write us at The Road, P.O. Box 88485, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80908. If you've been blessed by this message, please let us know as well. Again, the address is The Road, P.O. Box 88485, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80908. If you're in the area, please stop on by and join us at The Road for our Saturday night service at 6 p.m. We meet at Chapel Hills Church, located at 2025 Parliament Drive, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80920. In addition, you can find out more about The Road by going to our website at theroadcs.org. That's theroadcs.org. Make sure you follow us on Facebook as well. That's facebook.com slash theroadcs. If you tweet, you can join the conversation with us at Road Companions. As always, we covet your prayers. Thanks again for tuning in today. And be sure to catch us again next time for another edition of The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. It's time now for The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. Folks, we are going to see a violent anger growing in the United States against the church and against believers. It, just get ready. We've now been a nation for over 200 years. We haven't had it like other nations have. It is coming. It's coming. And if you're not ready in your faith, 
you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be living your life in fear, and you're going to compromise. You will. Welcome to another edition of The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. Steve is the head pastor of The Road in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's our vision to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ and to see you grow in the grace and knowledge of His love. If you're in the area, we welcome you to come out and join us for our Saturday night service beginning at 6 p.m. We meet at Chapel Hills Church located at 2025 Parliament Drive, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80920. On today's program, Pastor Steve continues his eye-opening study on spiritual warfare. If you have your Bibles handy, we'll be picking up in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. It's a powerful study and one we're sure you're going to be blessed by. Here now is Pastor Steve with part two of today's message. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, that's an archangel, archangel over Israel, by the way, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. What? What is this? This is so weird, man. But so that's the reason I don't believe it's a pre-incarnate Jesus, because Jesus doesn't need help, okay? So this is an archangel that has been trying to, to answer the prayers and speak to Daniel, and he cannot because there's a prince over Persia, a high-level demon that won't let him get there. So he has to call in reinforcements. And so Michael shows up because this is it's important because the prophecy is about Israel in the latter days. It's about what God's going to do in the last days with Israel Okay, so the archangel over Israel, I believe there's an archangel over America. I believe there may even be archangels over churches because of Revelation 2 and 3. But then he calls in Michael. Michael gets a breakthrough. Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people. Remember Israel. In the latter days, for the the vision refers to many days to come. So Daniel has been um, anointed by God. To get information, divine intelligence about what's going to happen in the latter days to Israel. This angel, this high level spirit can't get to him. But he's fasting and praying for 21 days. Remember Jesus said when the disciples could not cast a demon out of this young man. He says some won't come out except through fasting and prayer. So sometimes men and women... In these latter days, we're going to have obstacles for the church and obstacles in your job and obstacles in your marriage and relational obstacles that you cannot break through without unless you fast and pray. You've got to fast and pray because the spirit over that is just high level. And they're powerful. They're a principality and a power. And so, and so for 21 days, he tried. Now, look at verse 20. It's really interesting. And I only recently kind of read this when I was studying this. And I, I mean, I've studied this passage so many times. But I just went back and, and it's kind of interesting because he talked about being greatly beloved again. And then in verse 20, he says, then he said, and he's getting ready to leave now. Okay, he says, and I'm sure he's, I'm, Daniel's happy he's leaving. Because, I mean, Daniel is like almost dead. He's so, I mean, it's just like so majestic. Can you imagine? He's so majestic, he's just trembling. And Jesus is more majestic than that. And you want a visitation of an angel before you're going to believe? Are you lunatic? I mean, are you crazy? 
Seriously, you'll, you'll be on antidepressants for a year after that. Um, but in verse 20, he says, then he said, do you know why I've come to you? And now, listen, and now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. What? This is spooky stuff, you guys. This is real. This is God's word. It's there. So he's saying, look, I haven't, we're not done with the prince of Persia yet. He still rules over Persia, but I'm, I'm going to go back and fight with him. And then Persia has got a guy from Greece coming. He must be out of money, too. You know, I don't know. <laughs> like a bankrupt guy. <laughs> don't ask him for five bucks. <laughs> he doesn't have anything, you know. Uh, but, but there's a prince. I mean, the, the conclusion's obvious. There could be a prince, and there, I probably believe there's princes over nations. And they work through mouthpieces. They work through presidents. They work through kings. They work through prime ministers. If that president, that prime minister, that king lets them. Okay? That's why we got to pray for our leaders. That's why we got to pray for They are so susceptible. When our president makes an announcement, it releases demons or it releases angels. I'm telling you, it does. The reason I know that is because that's my responsibility over this church. I'm releasing something tonight through my mouth. And either it's, it's building you up or it's tearing you down. And so, and so that's why pastors have such an important role to play. If you're president of a company, you have a really important role to play. You have, in a sense, not the souls, but you have the hearts of your people in your hands. And I believe when the Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 and they spoke in tongues, it's because God primarily uses the tongue to speak life and death over nations and over people. I mean, I know that in, you know, I've talked about this before, but when the Battle of Britain was taking place, before we entered the war, and Winston Churchill is the primary voice for England, and he got on that radio, and he said, all I have to offer you is blood, sweat, and tears. That built courage in the, in the English people, and they hung in there through some very, very dark days. And so, this is a reality that what the enemy does, he's looking for mouthpieces, and so... We know the story of Peter. He opposes Jesus about going to the cross. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. With Ananias and Sapphira, Satan is working behind the scenes to manipulate and destroy the early church before it gets off the ground. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? We see a sorcerer named Elymas. Remember that story? In Paphos. And so Paul leaves Antioch, he goes over to Cyprus, and at Paphos, there's this magician that's just hassling him. And he's hassling him. And finally, Paul says, you're going to be blind, man. Get out of here. And then suddenly, it's like a, a little revival breaks loose in Paphos. What's that? I believe that possibly that magician was channeling that spirit over Cyprus. Now, Stop, period, exclamation point, end of that paragraph. New paragraph, really important. In the 1990s, there became a movement. I'm not going to name any names, but some of them lived in this city. They were the kingpins of this movement. And they're great people. I know them. I love them. They love Jesus, but they were wrong on this. And, uh, and I was working for John Wimber in the Vineyard Movement, and I was writing the letters along with a guy named John White, who was a psychologist, and Wayne Grudem who you guys know and love. And that was called Strategic Level Spiritual Warfare, SLSW. 
Here's the deal. There's no place in Scripture where we're supposed to contend with a prince over America or a prince over Colorado Springs. Folks, no place where any of the, in the book of Acts or anywhere, where they actually took on that spirit. So don't get, don't go there. That is ground you don't want to go. I've had too many, I've had friends, pastors, and others that have done that and have lost their lives. I know two people have lost their lives in Okinawa. Right after I warned the church not to get involved with that stuff, when that particular theologue was in that island, that's in 1992. Don't go there. Here's the deal, and this is important because I'm not going to cover it so much here, but this is a sidelight, okay? This is the point. The point is, what did Jesus do to contend with the devil? I already told you the answer earlier. What did he do? What did primarily Jesus do? He really did four things. He prayed. He was constantly in prayer, but not against forces. You always pray to God. You don't pray to demons, okay? Secondly, he was preaching the kingdom of God. Thirdly, he was healing the sick. And fourthly, he was casting out demons. Now, I'm going to talk about it in the weeks ahead, what I consider three fronts that we fight on. First front is the air campaign. Second front is a ground campaign. And the third front is a strategic campaign. I'm not going to go into it here. We'll talk about it later. But the bottom line is we don't come against demonic spirits. We pray to God. We let God take care of demonic spirits. Does that make sense? So do you understand it seems a little indirect because it is. You always focus on the person. You always focus on the kingdom. You always focus on the gospel. And the gospel in and of itself is anointed with power to change things. Like when you guys start reading God's word, when you follow, you know, our, uh, our PB&J, Prayer Bible Journal, and you're doing that every day, you think, oh, this is kind of boring. Oh that, was, oh, that was interesting last week. Oh, now I'm in De- Deuteronomy? Are you kidding me? This is like so boring. You don't know that when you're doing that, you're contending. Listen, you're contending for the kingdom. God hears your words when you read Scripture. You may not get an answer. But you're contending in the faith. And that's that secret history with God that as you're doing that, you're building equity in the kingdom of heaven. And that's called spiritual authority. And that's why you say, well, why does that person, they they always get their prayer. God never answers my prayer. Well, you're not contending. You give up too early. You quit. Don't be a quitter. And guess what? We're all quitters. So, okay, (laughs) you're all quitters. I'm a quitter. I quit yesterday on something. So I was like, we're all quitters. But, Quickly quit quitting, okay? You know, Lord Jesus, come. Take this quitter, and I, I, I repent for quitting yesterday, and I'm a quitter, and would you quickly change me from being a quitter? I mean, that's a good prayer, okay, because we're all there. But we quit too early. So look at Psalm 2. I think it fits so well with what we're talking about. I'm going to call it Psalm 2 Council. And you might jot this down. Psalm 2 Council requires a Joel 2 church. A Psalm 2 council requires a Joel 2 church. Look at Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? See, that's what's happening right now in our country. Our nation is raging, and the people plot a vain thing. Rage, in the Hebrew, means a violent anger. Folks, we are going to see a violent anger growing in the United States against the church. And against believers. It, just get ready. We've now been a nation for over 200 years. We haven't had it like other nations have. It is coming. 
That's why I read that article. There were 10 people arrested in the last couple weeks with 4th of July plots to detonate one of the bombs that's talked about in here was set up right there at the same place where the Boston Marathon bombing happened. They were going to do it again. It's coming. And if you're not ready in your faith, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be living your life in fear, and you're going to compromise. You will. Well, you know, I don't, you know, a little bit of pot here and there. I mean, what's, you know, okay. And, you know, I don't know. I guess, you know, that's, that's their lifestyle. That's fine. And before you know it, you're, you're not contending. You're compromising. Well, you say, well, how do I know the difference how to do that? I'm not talking about not loving people. Of course, love people. But you contend in prayer. And then what God does when you contend in prayer is God strengthens your inner man. So. We see this work of the nations raging the most in the 20th century, I believe, through Adolf Hitler. Where we know there was a demonic spirit over Germany working through Hitler. Listen to the latest. This is, this is the latest information on Adolf Hitler. Uh, just came out in the last couple of years. The new figures are that Adolf Hitler killed between 15 and 20 million Jews murdered. More than doubling the previous estimates, they've astonished even some Holocaust historians. This came after 13 years of painstaking study at Washington's Holocaust Memorial Museum. Listen, guys, that's over 70% of the Jews of Europe killed through one man, through, through this de- demonized man, demon-possessed man. The research covered some 42,400 camps and ghettos across Europe and also included forced labor camps and Nazi quote-unquote care centers where pregnant women were forced to have an abortion or had their child killed right after giving birth. It also drew from camps, prisons, and killing grounds used by Nazi puppet regimes in countries such as France and Romania. So this is the newest information. Can you imagine that? 20 million Jews murdered why do the nations rage here's why look at the next verse the objective is kingdom power and glory verse 2 the kings of the earth and maybe another way to say it the the prime ministers the presidents the governors of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the lord and against his anointed saying let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us you know why bible believing spirit filled believers have boundaries actually have things we believe in and people in 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 high level places don't want those boundaries they don't want those cords over them they want to do whatever they want and it really angers them that we actually say you know we don't agree with that and what's happening is we're going to be marginalized more and more the main hate speech vehicle is going to be this book this book will be outlawed and that's why we have the queen james bible that i talked about last week the queen james true Queen James Bible came out in 2012, takes all the passage about homosexuality and rewrites them. And to just show the bravery and the courage of those theologues that, uh, 
that did the interpretation of the Queen James Bible, we don't know who they are. It's all anonymous. I kid you not. Okay? So then I read, I read the theologues I love and their translation. It's like, it's just debauchery. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's heresy what they write. Men and women are interpreting their Bible through their sexuality instead of interpreting their sexuality through their Bible. And so in our, you know, immorality, same thing. We, well, we, can't, we got to figure out a way, and believers are doing it all the time. And some of you men in this room are doing it through pornography. Well, you know, she doesn't really satisfy me. And so just, you know, a little bit here. 58% of you in this room are dabbling in pornography. That's the national average in the church. So what we're doing is we're interpreting our Bible through our pornography instead of our pornography through the Bible. Now, is there grace for that? Of course there's grace. God can set you free. He can work that out. It's exciting what he can do, but you gotta, you got to trust him. you gotta, you got to contend with him in that. And so the, the nations of the world are going to say and break these bonds. I don't, I don't want these bonds on me. Don't tell me who I can have sex with. Don't tell me that it has to be within marriage. Don't tell me that I can't do drugs. Don't tell me that stuff. And they will increasingly marginalize and outlaw believers increasingly so. Matthew 24, talking about the last days, the lawlessness will increase. So, if you know, if you've read Metastasis' book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a really great book. I read it twice. I encourage you to read it. Talking about the 1930s and what was happening with the confessing church. That's where we're headed. And so what was happening is this is how Hitler did it. He used Romans 13. Let me read you the verse, which was the king verse, the main verse that Hitler used in the 1930s to the Lutheran church. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And so he used that to manipulate the pastors of Germany to acquiesce to him as a Christian leader, um, chancellor at that time, and we know what happened. That's a strategy of the roaring lion. That is a strategy for nations over roaring lion. But I love verse 4. you got to love verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. God is actually sovereignly working out his plan. Isn't that good news, folks? I mean, we're on the right side. We win. We've got the last book. You know, we've got the last chapter. We win. Verse 8, look at verse 8. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So here at the road, we're contending in prayer because he says we can have the possession of the nations. And I happen to believe that that's not going to be fulfilled until the millennium period. So when we talk about the thousand-year reign that comes up in Revelation 20, 21, I believe that's when that we will possess the nations during the thousand-year reign of Christ, millennium, while... Um, Satan is cast into, into the lake of fire. Excuse me, he's imprisoned before he goes into the lake of fire for a thousand years and then he's released. Now, a Psalm 2 council requires a Joel 2 church. So now turn to Joel and I'll finish up with this. So Joel chapter 2, we could do the whole chapter, but let's just look at verse 12. And this is why we're doing the 714 initiative. So here's what's happening with the 714 issue. So you got the context. This is based on 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. 
the backside, it tells you how to pray. First of all, humble yourself. So look at that. Talking about personal revival. Folks, we need personal revival. To ask God, you think God's not going to answer that prayer? Oh, well, you know, personal revival. I'm getting sick of you talking about personal revival. I'm not going to answer that prayer. Anybody else got a better one out there? I mean, God loves when we pray that way. He loves that. We humble ourselves. He's talking about the people of God. Then number two, revival in the church. Let's pray for revival in the road. Let's pray for a visitation of the Holy Spirit in the road to bring a great revival starting here. And then let's pray for churches in our city for revival. And revival means reviving something that's already there. And then awakening in the nation, thirdly, that there would be a work of the Spirit across the nation. Here's what we're doing. So, on my, my phone's in my satchel right now, but I've got 7.14 a.m. and 7.14 p.m. on my alarm. So, I didn't do it every day, okay? So, I wish I could say, oh, I did it every day. I'm, I'm your leader. Follow me. You know, no, you know, I like what Mahatma Gandhi said. There go my people. I must follow them, for I am their leader. Um, but, and then, and then we take five minutes, just five minutes, pray these three prayers. It's 7.14 a.m. 7.14 p.m., five minutes. Pray this. Everybody in the church doing that, you know, several hundred people, that's powerful. And I think God's going to move in response to that. So here's what it says in Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Anybody can do this, church. Anybody can call out to God for a nation, call out to God for your marriage, call out to God for your family, call out to God for your friends. He's telling us that that a Psalm 2 crisis results in a Joel 2 church. Does that make sense? It's the answer for our nation. I'm telling you, there are going to be no political messiahs. Ain't going to happen. Should we vote? Of course we should vote. But there's not going to be political messiahs. There's going to be Jesus work here. This has to be Jesus work. We're praying for an awakening, a work of God's spirit in our nation. I, I sent my notes over to Dick Eastman at every home. And Dick is one of our overseers. He sent back and he said, Steve, you know that we've opened up a center for revival and awakening right across the street from the Capitol. We've got three condos there. And he was like really pumped about this. I'm like, that's awesome. And so, you know, God's speaking to a lot of people across the nation. There has to be an awakening, a revival. With weeping and mourning. He's talking about serious prayer here. Verse 13. So rend your heart. That means tear your heart, not your garments. So this is personal. This is deep level stuff. This is aggressive. It means we're going we're to struggle. We're asking God to show up. In our nation. But then it says this. For he is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger. And of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Now I don't get this. I don't understand this. But it seems like God actually limits his power. To having watchmen that pray. I don't understand that. That's how a loving God is. He actually, guys, listen. He's actually put into your heart and your prayers power to change the destiny of a nation. That's powerful stuff. We must be a praying church. 
God's called us to be a praying people. Verse 14, who knows? I like that, who knows? I mean, it's like, who knows? This is Joel, he's a prophet, he doesn't even know. But who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind. That's what we want, right? God, I want a blessing. I need a blessing. A grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Who knows what God will do? Who knows what God will do? We have no idea. We don't know his time frame. But I believe he's going to do it. He's going to do it in our day. I know he's going to do it before the second coming. He's going to raise up a powerful church. We're going to be a part of it. It's going to be exciting. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Guys, blow the trumpet in your family. Gather together. Pray together. Do 714 prayer together. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. So he's like, get everybody together and pray and call out to me. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Look at verse 28. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. So God loves, that's what he does in the last days. He pours out dreams and visions. He pours out works of his spirit that are supernatural. And the reason we don't see that is because we don't cry out for it. Challenge us all. Cry out this week. Set your alarm for 7.14 a.m. Set your alarm for 7.14 p.m. If you can do it as a family, that's awesome. I'm just taking no more than five minutes. Just do five minutes and mean it. And I'm telling you, look out. God might show up in ways that will just surprise you. I love to be surprised by God. How about you? And so believe Him for that. You've been listening to The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. We pray that you've been blessed by the message today. Our hope is to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's why we teach the Word of God verse by verse, scripture by scripture, and precept upon precept. We're excited about all the things God is doing in the lives of our faithful listeners. We understand that there are many trials and tribulations in this world, and we'd love to be able to pray for you as you encounter difficult times. Please drop us a note and let us know how we can pray for you. Write us at The Road, P.O. Box 88485, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80908. If you've been blessed by this message, please let us know as well. Again, the address is The Road, P.O. Box 88485, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80908. If you're in the area, please stop on by and join us at The Road for our Saturday night service at 6 p.m. We meet at Chapel Hills Church, located at 2025 Parliament Drive, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80920. In addition, you can find out more about The Road by going to our website at theroadcs.org. That's theroadcs.org. Make sure you follow us on Facebook as well. That's facebook.com slash theroadcs. If you tweet, you can join the conversation with us at Road Companions. As always, we covet your prayers. Thanks again for tuning in today. And be sure to catch us again next time for another edition of The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt.